Welcome to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Policy directors Elizabeth Gore and Elizabeth Mayer bring their broad knowledge of congressional issues from both sides of the aisle together for a discussion on the state of the Republican Party, tax reform efforts, and the ongoing repeal and replace attempts. Brownstein Strategic Advisor Senator Mark Begich moderates a discussion that also covers how the Congress can move things forward before the end of the year. Welcome to another Brownstein podcast on policy today. I'm joined by the Elizabeth and Elizabeth show once again. Elizabeth Gore, policy director, serves as the chair of the Brownstein's government relations department. Elizabeth previously served as chief of staff to Senator Byron Dorgan, as a special assistant to Clinton White House, and in the House Committee on Budget. Having over 20 years of experience in Democratic politics and advocacy, Elizabeth provides clients with insight on the legislative and regulatory outlook for a variety of public policy topics, including energy and technology issues. Also joining us today is Elizabeth Mayer, policy director, is well-trusted policy and political advisor at Brownstein. Elizabeth worked more than 10 years as legislative director to U.S. Senator John Kyle. She now focuses her efforts and ex- expertise on advising Brownstein clients about numerous legislative and regulatory issues and uses her expertise to advance clients' priorities. Again, thank you both for being here. I can't remember what number this is. This is uh, a continuation of our Elizabeth and Elizabeth show talking about a variety of issues. And today we got a few issues that have already started to happen. It seems like every time we do these, it is even though it's a few weeks later, it's like a year in activity. And the first one is the activity around the departure of certain lawmakers. We have uh, a race down in Alabama that changed out a temporary senator, uh, Luther Strange. We have Bob Corker and Jeff Flake, who are now announcing their retirements. What will happen, especially with these three, but again with maybe Senator Corker and Flake, the majority is thin, two-vote margin, three if you include the vice president when necessary for voting, but does it create them as freelancers? Does it create the dynamics of the policy and how the majority will respond to maybe tax reform and all these other issues? Maybe, Elizabeth Mayer, you could respond to that first, but it seems like there's a lot of activity around their decisions and policies kind of put off to the side, but they become kind of a unique play in this. Yeah, um, I guess I, I would say, you know, the, it's taken, um, you know, m- most of the airspace this week, um, you know, other than the emerging continuing uh, potential um, conflicts related to Russia on both sides of the Democratic and Republican aisles. Um, but I, I guess I would say, um, you know, above the the scene, um it, it looks as though, you know, the Republicans are in disarray um, and, you know, it is a, a difficult time. I will say I find it interesting that while Senator McConnell um, continues to interact with President Trump and um, is working really hard to get a tax uh, deal put together, um, his super PAC, um, which, you know, everybody knows are, are these um, entities that can give um, a significant amount of money to particular candidates of choice. Um, he is um, trying to get money poured into the super PAC, to his super PAC, to um, specifically fight the Bannon uh, sort of wing of, um, of of efforts to oust people like Jeff Flake and um, and and Bob Corker to some degree. And so, I think at some point in time, there's going to have to be sort of a come to Jesus um, and continuing 
evaluation about what really is the Republican Party. And I think it's ongoing. I don't know how much it will affect efforts throughout the rest of the year and what can be accomplished. I would venture to say a lot. But I think that, I mean, honestly, I think both the Democratic side is grappling to kind of think about what they are as a party. And, you know, definitively, the Republican Party is, too. Do you think, Elizabeth Gore, when you look at Bob Corker, you know, tax reform, you know, he's a kind of a deficit hawk. And then you look at Jeff Flake, who probably would love to see some sort of because he worked on immigration. Um, do, you, do you see these from the Democratic side? Do you think there's like a freelancer here that Democrats are trying to figure out? Is there leverage here? Is there opportunity or is it just business as usual? What 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 do you think is happening in that sphere? Even though they both had two different issues, but yet they're kind of on their own now. You know, it's a fascinating question because I think we've said Bob Corker has come uncorked. You know, I think he feels un, unfettered by um, uh, his uh, an upcoming election and has been very direct about his very legitimate concerns and criticisms of the president. And Jeff Flake, similarly, uh, now that he's not facing the electorate, has been very vocal about, um, you know, saying publicly what I think a lot of Democrats and Republicans in the Senate say privately, which is that the president is dangerous, that he's undermining democracy and that it it is unbecoming to the office and it's undermining the country. So, um, you know, I give them some some credit for for um, being vocal and being public about um, about these issues. The reality is they're they're both conservative Republicans. So is there an opportunity for partnership with Democrats on policy issues? I'm not sure about that because I think that fundamentally they um, are very conservative members, and therefore there's may not be a lot of policy overlap with with main with the mainstream stream Democrats. One thing I would say about that, though, is it gives a, an idea of how jumbled this president has made his own party. Elizabeth uh, Mayer was saying that Republicans are trying to find their way a little bit about what kind of party they are, and I agree with her on that. But listen, President Trump is not really a Republican, and he's not been a part of their party for a long time, and he has really um, stirred the pot here, and um, in some ways, you know, he's created the Steve Bannon effect, which Elizabeth Mayer also mentioned. When you have conservatives like Jeff Flake or or very strong, well-respected Republicans like Bob Corker who feel like they're not able to be successful in the party or that they're not really welcome in that party anymore. I mean, that's breathtaking. I think that's the biggest takeaway from what's happened over the last couple of weeks is that people who are really uh, foundational to Republicans and Republican um, philosophy uh, no longer feel like the, the party belongs to them. And um, I think if if I were a Republican, that would be the most concerning part of the way that this um, the last week or so has unfolded. With the dynamics in these changes, do you, I mean, one of the big top issues is tax reform. Here it is in front of us. There's, you know, I saw something earlier this morning about uh, I think it was actually Senator Corker talking about how important it is to get this done since 1986. It hasn't been done. But there's a big number they have to deal with in the trillions and how to get it balanced out. Does it change the dynamics of 
this issue with the clock ticking very rapidly before the end of the year. The president continues to say, get it done before the end of the year. Then he takes stuff off the table they can negotiate with. Uh, McConnell's been somewhat, I don't want to say quiet, but not pushing one way or another, but moving down the path of this issue. What do you think is going to happen with tax reform with this new dynamic of these members? Is it is it a reality or is it just a lot of talk that we're going to have between now and the end of the year? I think it could be a reality. I mean, I, I will say... In a major way or a trimming of the... I, I think it'll get trimmed. I mean, they just can't... There is no way to do as broad-based a plan as, as they are talking um, without an outlier increase the deficit effect. Um, and so, you know, with respect to McConnell being behind the scenes, I think that is true. But I know for a fact from talking to the tax person in the leader's office and the tax person on the finance committee... They talk three times a night, mm-hmm. and they are working toward an effect and introduction of some sort of package. We know that um, Brady, as soon as the budget passes the House, um, is going to introduce a bill. I don't know where it goes. Um, I I think there is this, and Elizabeth Gore, I'd, I'd love her opinion, um, there is this possible... Uh, gathering around um it's the weirdest of of effects it's the steve bannon wing of trump talking about potentially either increasing or not reduces taxes on the the what is considered to be the wealthy right and then all the other outlier uh projects within this tax reform bill and i think that there might be a way to to pull those together um if the middle agrees to, even though economically, philosophically, increasing taxes on the the rich is not something that most Republicans will want to do. And Ryan said something about that, that adding a fourth rate, that higher rate. Right. That they could possibly come up with a smaller package. But at the end of the day, you have to go to the middle part of it, which is helping the lower middle and middle income uh, quintile of folks. And if the Republican Party can't prove that that is what it is going to be doing um, with this package, then I think that it could suffer a bad fate. Yeah. And and we don't know. I mean, we don't have the package. We don't know what it's going to look like. It, it could do that. So I'm optimistic about it. But we'll see as things start to roll out even more. What do you think of that, Elizabeth Gore, the, the, this kind of – uh, Bannon component that's about populism, you know, don't give the rich more, kind of that theme out there. But yet, they're also deficit hawks in a way. And then you have Democrats who want to figure out the middle and the lower income component. Is there this kind of weird alliance that might just kind of merge into a tax cut bill versus a massive rewrite that suddenly moves some dollars around? Well, let me say a couple of things. Um, Rewriting the tax code is extraordinarily complicated, and it should be time-consuming because the impacts are far-reaching, and there's winners and losers. There's a lot of uh, sort of ripple effects for any major change in the tax code, and so it should be well thought. It should be well vetted. Um, Trying to do this in two months... Um, to me, indicates that there's more value among the Republican Party in doing something, anything, um, and not being very concerned about the substance. And so uh, I, I think that you cannot have 
a a tax reform bill that actually um, aims to simplify and uh, really broaden the base and make a lot of fundamental changes in the tax code and think that you can get it through the process in just a couple of months. So my view is that if they're going to get something done before the end of the year, um, that either means they just do tax cuts, which you mentioned that you know, and that's keep it simple, keep, but yet yeah, you, you give everybody a, a little bit of a break. You blow up the deficit. You don't worry about it. I'm not sure that Republicans um, have the same orthodoxy about worrying about the deficit as they have in the past. So I think that on tax issues on this one, for yeah, example. exactly. Yeah. So I think that that's one option. You know, another option is that they it's just action over substance, and you know, you sort of roll the dice and hope that it works out, which I really hope we don't end up in because that's. Uh, that is a scenario for a lot of unintended consequences that can be very troubling. And then the other option, I guess, is is to have it, you know, slide into 2018. Um, I have never seen such commitment, though, I have to say, uh, in getting this done rapidly. There's a little bit of cynicism here in that um, I think some on the Republican side want to get it done before anybody figures out what's in it and what the impacts are going to be. And and that's not really a formula for good policy either. So I hope that they take the time that it takes. I hope that there's a full understanding by members on both sides of the aisle about what it is they're voting on? Um, Is there opportunity for alliance here um, between moderate Democrats and populist Republicans? Maybe, but certainly not between now and Christmas. What what do we think? I mean, we we, here at Brownstein, I mean, we uh, it seems like this is the topic that a lot of the clients talk about, maybe small amount or a little bit, just kind of understanding what it means, because everyone somehow gets touched by this. Do, do you think there, among uh, the folks, I know you both are busy talking, uh, and it's one of the great things about the firm, is you're always in communication with people all over the city and all over the country, and especially on the Hill, trying to get a pulse of what's happening. Uh, what Elizabeth just said about can it be done before Christmas in a way that's rational? I mean, Elizabeth Mayer, I mean, it seems like you're compacted in so much when you take the holidays out and actually the work days that are left are very limiting. Yeah, um, I, I agree partially with Elizabeth Gore and disagree with her partially. I think it is not going to be possible um, realistically to fully educate all members in the House and the Senate to get this done by Christmas. I, I could be wrong. But I, I would say where I diverge from her point of view is in this sort of cynical outlook in, in that maybe Republicans don't want people to be able to figure out what's in it and want to pass it quickly. You know, maybe there's a little bit of both. Um, hurry up and get it done. You know, it's complicated, but not everybody needs to know everything that's in it. And that's wrong. But I think on the other other end of it, that there is this desire not to have um, some some special interests that that maybe um, aren't aligned with with responsible tax policy uh, moving forward, um, which may be an impactor, you know, which whole. may be an impactor um, stopping that. Let me ask you. Let me switch to the last real quick topic, and it's like it never ends. It's the it's the the, the issue that literally never dies, keeps coming back. We thought there was a bipartisan agreement regards to a component of health care regarding um, the uh, insurance kind of 
I call them reimbursements, but you know, they're 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 um, uh, money that they would get to offset the cost of high cost health care. Seemed like Alexander and Murray had something moving, and then it just stopped. And then the president, you know, initiated to some degree by the president's executive order on what he's not going to do or do. So where, where is it's kind of like lo- it's off the radar screen suddenly. I mean, between Corker Flake tax reform and tweets that everyone likes to keep doing, it's like vanished, but yet it's a reality that has to be dealt with because it's it's big money that could impact the rates of individuals in the moderate to low income category. Elizabeth Gore. I mean, it's kind of. Like, am I? Did I miss that? Is no. the news gone on this? Is no, it, or did I, I miss reading it? Um, listen, I think that the president doesn't know what his position is on health care. Because he was for this, he and was then for he was it, and then he was it. against it, and he criticizes it, and then he encourages it. Listen, he doesn't know what his position is, or he or it is so um, muddled for him that he's un- unable to articulate a position. Um, and and what happens is that freezes the field. Because the Congress doesn't want to be out in front of him. Um, the, I think members of Congress on the Republican side are worried about about moving forward on something when they don't know what the president is, is going to say about it, whether he's going to be critical or supportive. And so um, I, I think that um, Senator McConnell has said that he's – He's open to moving this bipartisan bill forward, but needs to understand where the administration is on it. And um, so I think that that you are exactly right. There was momentum here. It there was like a it was lot of act- there was a lot of activity. They've got broad bipartisan support. I think they've got twelve, 12 Republicans, right. twelve mm-hmm. Democrats on the bill. That's that's pretty impressive in, 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 in this times. Congress. Yeah. Yes, and. Um, and the president has undermined all of that with his um, with his shifting positions and his inability to focus and his um, you know lack of knowledge about how the program actually works. He's saying things that don't make any sense if you're if you understand how the system operates. And so his um, you know lack of policy understanding and his um the fact that he doesn't really have an anchor in terms of what it is that he believes on health care um ha- has made it impossible for the congress to move forward and so i think that th- that has frozen the field as i said and everybody's sort of moved on to other things until they can get a better sense from the administration about what it is that the president's looking for elizabeth Mary? uh i i agree with that for the most part i guess um I would say, you know, what I'm hearing even from the speaker's shop is that um, when we come to year end and there might be an omnibus bill uh, cobbled together, um, Speaker Ryan in a closed door meeting was um, quoted as saying that he believes that he'll be able to get some sort of um, relief for the the dream folks in, Mm -hmm. but he wouldn't say that he could get this continuation of these payments, um, the, the quote CSR payments, legislatively put or tucked into an omnibus package. So that's very telling. I was under the impression all along that maybe it would get tucked mm-hmm. in. Um, I, I think that what happened at the end of the day with the administration is that at first blush, when he heard about it out loud, the president seemed to be for this um, Alexander Murray uh, compromise, but when people within the administration started to look at it and started to realize that there were 
going to be impediments to the offering of scaled back insurance plans that they advised the president that he couldn't be for the dismantling um, of the idea that um, that there would be these plans put together and approved to be a part of an overall offering to, say, younger folks who uh, didn't, without getting into the debate about whether that's a good idea or not, these sort of uh, less inclusive plans. Let me give you, uh, uh, I guess uh, I was going to make that the last, but let me give you a thought and I've, in maybe your comments on it. I, I've talked to s- several senators, actually on both sides of the aisle, privately on, an, on a thought, and that is, you know, what happens with this president, it seems, it really doesn't matter what the legislation is. If there's a ribbon cutting, a shovel, you can turn dirt or there's some press conference, he'll sign it. I mean, I, 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 you know, I'm a tournament poker player. This guy would love to play poker against. I'd win every day uh, because he is easy to tell. And that is, it doesn't really matter what the bill is. If you give him a press conference, a ribbon cutting, something that gives him a little show and tell, he will sign it. So why doesn't Congress take this health care issue? Just, you know, it's hard to say ignore the president because they all think that they're going to get tweeted on. Who cares? If you pass it, by the time you get it through, and this Alexander Murray is a good example, and he'll be for he'll it. Be for right. it. He will sign that because you'll say, we're going to do a Rose Garden press conference. We're going to have all this great press. We'll have business people there, and there'll be a big ribbon and a bill you can sign. I will wager you pick the number, he will sign it. Why do they stop and think that they have to wait for him when in reality the public is demanding results? Why doesn't Congress be the result end product and at the end of the day just put it on the president and say, if you don't want to sign it, that's your decision? But he will sign it. I'll put money. I pick the bill. He'll sign it. Thoughts? Well, I, mean, I had these conversations with a couple senators. I'm aggravated that they just don't step up to the plate and be leaders in their own right, and the president can sign it or not. Well, Mark, I have a very short answer to you, <laughs> and that is I 100% agree with you. I think you are exactly right. The president fundamentally on almost every issue doesn't care about the policy. And so you are exactly right. And um, I think the, the answer is for why that hasn't happened is that the is that the Republican leadership for whatever reason doesn't have the um, courage to move forward without him and they should because they're the ones that are paying the political price for inaction but absolutely they should again not ignore the president but they need to move forward without him and I think that um, the president would sign any. He'll come any, on the end of the day. Any bill that gets passed by the Congress, I think that the president is going to sign. And so um, I, I think that the I'd be interested in what your Republican um, colleagues or former colleagues from the Senate say to that question because there's it doesn't make any sense to me that Mitch McConnell and um, Paul Ryan are waiting on a nod from the president. That's what they're doing. I don't know why. Louis Mayor? Gosh. Uh, not to make it more complex than it <laughs> is. And I, I agree. I mean, the simple fact is, at the end of the day, um, if they send him a series of bills, he's probably going to sign them and before them. Yeah. I, I think there's a big difference between comprehensively what's happening on the regulatory front and what the president has done, some good, maybe some not so good with respect to 
the scaling back of Obama-era regulations. And those kinds of things writ large seem to resonate with this, quote, base, whatever you think the makeup of it is. On the legislative front, when he hasn't indicated his support and it's unknown whether he's going to lash out and say he's against something or for something, I hate to say this, but I believe that there are a group of members and senators who they are not going to potentially make angry this base because whatever it is that he says is what they are for or against. Mm -hmm. So there hasn't been this coming together yet of the president taking a leadership role because he doesn't actually work on the policy part of it. As Elizabeth Gore said, if he would lend his name and indicate earlier that he would support something, then maybe more would flow through irrespective of what it is and the Congress would start to get something done. But that hasn't happened so far. Right. I would answer and close on this to, to your questions, uh, question, Elizabeth Gore. They agree with the theory that he'd sign anything that would come to him. And so it's a question. It is this moment in time where that leadership and moment to say, we're just going to do this. And what it could mean, especially in the Republican arena, is you might be primaried and you might lose your election. That is the risk of politics. Some don't want to take it. And that's just the politics of D.C., right? And, you know, I've seen friends of mine, I've lost a race uh, due to a vote I took on health care, and that's the way life goes. Uh, but you got to make those decisions. So I think it's going to be an interesting dynamic. At some point, is there a break point that occurs that someone says, we're just going to move this train forward, and at the end of the day, whatever happens, happens to them politically? I don't know if we're there yet, but it's an interesting moment in time that something's going to happen here. Well, let me end here and just say again to Elizabeth and Elizabeth, uh, as always, it's uh, interesting to have these discussions. We could go on forever. But again, thank you both for being here today. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Brownstein Hyatt Farber Shrek podcast series. Visit www.bhfs.com for more information.